Yay! Cool. I never know this thing. It's wonky. Just like Jason's eyelash. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Queering Ability. My name is Wayne Glass, he, him, his pronouns, and... My name is Spencer Scruggs, he, him, and his pronouns. And this is a podcast in collaboration with ACBA's Coalition for Sexuality and Gender Identities and the Coalition for Disability. In this endeavor, we aspire to amplify the voices of queer and trans individuals with a disability or, or who identify as having different abilities. These individuals are student affairs practitioners, researchers, higher education faculty, and higher education administrators. This space is meant to highlight, honor, and celebrate their stories navigating the intersections. Today we have Brett Raymond Knackman. Um, Brett is a, a PhD student at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, right up the road from me, hey, an educational leadership and policy analyst in the analyst department. His research focuses on the depictions and experiences of college students on the autism spectrum, the pathways and transfer intent of community college students, and how autistic and queer and trans students navigate higher education and their interconnected identities. Brett's recent professional experiences have included serving as a graduate researcher for the College Autism Network, working as a project assistant for the Wisconsin Center for the Advancement of Post-Secondary Education and teaching for the Center for the, in for the Integration of Research, Teaching, and Learning. Brett is an aspiring professor and researcher whose work has been featured in Frontiers in Psychology and the Honors Education in Transition book series. In his spare time, Brett loves to plan and embark on trips, catch up on favorite TV shows, work out of the gym, and spend time with friends and family, as well as read up on everything Disney. And I'm really curious to know more about that. Yes. Also, Queering Ability can be found through searching Queer Queering Ability on iTunes and Google Play. This podcast is free to subscribe and can be downloaded for travel-friendly engagement. Hello and welcome, Brett. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You so in addition to your lovely bio, tell us a little about yourself and why you're interested on being this podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Just tell us a little bit about yourself in addition to your bio. Sure, absolutely. Um, well, I'm entering my fourth year of graduate school uh, here at UW-Madison, so kind of halfway through my grad school journey and really relishing every minute of it. Um, I'm originally from uh, Phoenix, Arizona, uh, Scottsdale in particular, so uh, an Arizona native who basically went to one of the coldest places in the country for grad school, but yeah. um, <laughs> no, no, no complaints except for those, those endless winters. Um, yeah, my, uh, my background is, uh, my undergrad background, I should say, uh, was in journalism and mass communication. Um, so really from a young age, I had a a natural curiosity and desire to, to learn things and try to capture other individuals' stories. And I think, um, as I've realized over the years, 
and this is how it's translated to my educational research focus now, is that I really wanted the space to go more in depth with the types of pieces that I was covering and the stories that um, I was helping share with other audiences. Um, so that kind of led me into academia. Um, I absolutely loved my community college experience, which maybe I'll talk a little bit about here, um, and because that's informed a lot of my work as a scholar, um, who's one, one of my main focuses is on uh, community college students. So really strong connections um, to that segment of um, academia. And also, um, as I'll talk about um, some of my other work as it pertains to the identity stuff, and, and hence why um, I'm really honored to be on the podcast, how, how that's really shaped my overall uh, direction as well. So I have a, a lot of passion for, for research. I'm a, a scholar and learner at heart, um, but I also love um, teaching and thankfully I've had some experiences to, to get to kind of experiment with different types of classes and situations in that regard. And uh, yeah, I'm just, uh, I'm an academic nerd at heart. So even in my free time, I'm thinking about all this, um, all this content, this world, and um, how all of us can make a difference in improving students' lives in many different sectors. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for that. Yeah, and we're totally going to dive into all of those pieces. And and once again, you know, always sharing what you're most comfortable with and uh, all the things, some of the things, none of the things, completely appropriate for that. So, uh, and you mentioned this a little bit. Can you, if you're comfortable, can you tell us a little about like how who you are as a person has shaped how you live and breathe and navigate society as a person and as an academic? Wow, that's a that's a big question. <laughs> I like I, to go right for the gut. <laughs> hey, you know what? Sometimes you have to do that. Um, no, that's that's a. Let me think about that for a sec. Well, I I suppose. Um, so, I guess what makes me like kind of focus on my research and my interests, they often gravitate from, I think, personal experiences. So I, I briefly noted earlier the, the value I had um, in my community college years. Um, I was homeschooled uh, in middle and high school. And so for me, the natural transition to, to go to college was to go to a more intimate um, community-based environment and um, Scottsdale Community College which, by the way, is home to the artichokes. We are uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. a vegetable mascot. So I, I love bringing that into conversations oh, whenever yes. possible. I have a lot of uh, artichoke pride, and I have very uh, deep connections back there. But anyways, um, love it. I don't eat artichokes um, in, to be mindful of our mascot. But uh, <laughs> what, what I will say is um, in bringing up my community college experience, I, I referenced that as really salient to, to my identity and my life experience because it really served as a, a platform or foundation um, for me and kind of just navigating not only academia, but life as well. Um, I had so many different experiences where I was involved in campus. So whether as um, editor of our college newspaper or president of our honor society chapter or other capacities, I was really engrossed in, in the community college experience and trying to see how that was almost like a microcosm of the world more broadly. 
And through kind of engaging in these different venues, in addition to the courses and the typical college experiences many of us face, I, I think I gained a, a greater sense of self and um, confidence in, in my abilities. Um, and um, and I'll talk about my autism work later, but um, for, for the most part, I, I technically wasn't quote unquote out as being on the spectrum um, for a variety of different reasons, um, mainly because of fear of discrimination or stigmatization. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that the discourse has changed quite dramatically even over the past nine years since I first started college. But um, when I was uh, honored to, to be selected as the student commencement speaker, I kind of f felt like I had to use that as an opportunity to not only talk about my story and, and the stories that many of us as community college students and non-traditional students faced in, in getting our um, associate's degree, but, but also really as an educational outlet for, for talking about my experiences as someone with Asperger's. And it was kind of momentous for me personally. I think um, it actually raised a lot of good dialogue. And um, I think at the end of the day, I was really happy to see that it really didn't change how anybody um, acted toward me or, or treated me. I think if anything, it, it perhaps encouraged greater respect or, or at least dialogue for for these types of topics. So harkening back to your question, Wayne, in terms of like what makes me me, I, I really harken back to my community college experience as allowing me to, to kind of partake in different organizational outlets that have actually played a pivotal role in, in my current work, um, but also just kind of just being a, a young adult and figuring out life and and I was in a really supportive and, and safe environment where I was I received so much encouragement from my peers, from my faculty. And then most importantly, I would be totally remiss if I didn't talk about um, my family and my parents because I was raised in a very um, lovely and um, wonderful household where they're constantly um, supporting every facet of my life. Um, whether it be my academics or my personal development or other things. So I think my early college education complemented by um, this really strong family values that I have that influence my sense of character and ethics and values, all of that collectively, I think, make me, me. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, thank you for that. Um, question where now where uh, was the community college you, you said Scottsdale right correct so, where, yeah. where, where is that located sure so Scottsdale is a suburb of Phoenix Arizona okay, so, okay. Um, yeah there's a, a probably about a dozen nearly a dozen community colleges in the Phoenix metropolitan area mm -hmm. so yeah awesome now and it sounds like you moved around a little bit yeah yeah, so um, yeah, so I actually grew up in Scottsdale. So okay. Oh, okay. it was a natural transition for a 17-year-old homeschooler to start out at the community mm -hmm. college six miles away. Yeah, yeah. And when I got my associates, I um, transferred to Arizona State University um, in Tempe, Phoenix area. Um, so I stayed at home during those years um, for, for different reasons. And um, so I was a transfer student, and that produced a whole set of 
um, additional challenges and new experiences that also shaped my research um, down the line. And then three years ago, um, I moved to Wisconsin when I was admitted into its um, doctoral program. Okay, okay, so Arizona to Wisconsin, one of the hottest climates to one of the coldest yeah. climates. Got it. Yep, oh, yeah, I'm picking up what you're putting down now. I got it. I got it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was a harsh transition. <laughs> Thankfully, yeah. it was during summertime. So, oh, it was yeah, you came in the best yeah. time to come, right? More or less, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so thank you for that. Now, um, kind of like building on some of the items that you previously named, can you talk to us a little bit some of the challenges that you may have encountered, um, whether in like social spaces, academic spaces, both, like on how you like kind of moved and grew through that? And then um, like what, I guess I'm curious to know like what you did to like kind of work through some of those challenges. And like I said, they can be academic related, they can be personal, they can be all of the above. Sure, sure. And I think it's also, this is probably a good time to, to be for me to just bring up the notion of um, person first and identity first based language, because yeah. I definitely recognize and value that everyone has different preferences in terms of how they refer to whether it be themselves or others. So I just want to kind of put it out there that um, even though I'm consistently probably going to be referring to myself um, as on the spectrum or as Asperger's, having Asperger's, um, this is kind of all under the, the same umbrella. There are some individuals who, who might elect to say that they are autistic mm -hmm. first sure. or, um, or that they are a college student with autism. So just wanting to say that there are a variety of different ways of putting it and people have their proclivities and I don't want it um, disregard that. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, all that being said, um, so your question is about like academic and social challenges, um, and perhaps I'm, I'm guessing talking about how identities fit into this. Yeah, absolutely. And then maybe even like in the work that you do. So, kind of thinking about like you know the identity-based work that you do, some challenges you may have encountered with some challenges you may have encountered with students that you work with, um, really all of the above. It's it's however you uh, want to self-disclose. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for that. Well, I think, and obviously I, I recognize that I'm on the Queering Ability podcast, so um, I'm, I'm going to be talking probably most um, prominently about the autism piece because that seems to be more of like the centerpiece of my work. Um, but I also identify as a gay man. So um, some of uh, the sexuality piece is actually um, gradually entering um, some of my more emergent um, scholarship. But in terms of, I guess, challenges related to um, academics and social on the autism front, um, one I want to be mindful of is that autism and people on the spectrum, it manifests in a variety of different ways. Everybody is different. Um, there's a very common saying that if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. And yeah. I, think, mm -hmm. yeah. I think I think we can agree that this really extends to a lot of other identities as well, right? We don't want to make you know, broad generalizations about people. So um, certain challenges or, or moving away from deficit-based um, perspectives mm -hmm. and the opportunities and positives of of my identity um, are very varied. Um, so I think on the positive front, and hopefully this reveals itself in a variety of settings, is that I'm extremely detail-oriented. Um, 
and I pick up on fine details. Um, I try to look at the whole picture of, of situations, but I, I tend to gravitate toward the real particulars and the serves me, whether it be in editing papers or um, just, again, noticing those, those uh, smaller aspects of things. Um, some people on the spectrum also have really strong memories, um, and that can be very useful in a variety of different regards, whether it be academic performance or just remembering, in my case, I remember uh, specific events or, or things in my life from many, many years ago. Uh, also, a lot of people on, on the spectrum have um, very strong hyper-focus or hyper-interests. So they yeah. might have really very, very, very strong passions. So um, at the beginning of the, the bio, you had mentioned um, the, the Disney piece. So I'm an avid connoisseur of, of the Walt Disney Company, and I've been able to um, really uh, incorporate that into my life in a variety of different ways over the years, whether it be going to the theme parks or even actually at one point I wrote trivia cards or helped write trivia cards for a, a mass market Disney board game. That's so, awesome. Uh, so, yeah, and I have such a passion for Disney. So for me, multi-talented. <laughs> you can say that I want about myself, but um, <laughs> in any case, um, why I use that example is to show that um, people's strong, strong hyper-interests can serve, serve them in different ways. So for me, that wasn't necessarily in an academic sense, but I was able to translate my passion for writing into different venues, whether it be now, um, you know, as a researcher, I'm a scholar in, in empirical literature, but uh, in my previous life as a journalist. And, then, and you know, for, for Disney, I wrote for an entertainment website for a number of years. So, um, so what I want to say is as far as challenges or opportunities really of, of being on the spectrum, um, they really present themselves in a real multitude of ways. And I've always been one to try to um, center more on, on the positives, but there are nonetheless a lot of challenges. I've always been one sure. to find um, social situations or at least unfamiliar social, social situations to be um, taxing and overwhelming. Yeah. I think over the years I've coped with it um, better. And um, that's why for me, I go back to the notion of community college. That outlet was so helpful for me in, in kind of just acclimating to a, a smaller atmosphere before essentially going to Arizona State, which is one of the largest um, post-secondary education institutions in the nation. So um, yeah, social situations have always been hard for me. When I was very young, I could not read nonverbal communication whatsoever. Uh, my eye contact was um, pretty much non-existent. Um, a lot of um, hypersensitivities to sounds, smells, sights. And while I'm at an age and at a point in my life because of a lot of um, focus during my childhood on on working through some of these different challenges. I, I am able to quote unquote pass or or cover cover these traits up. It's often once one comes to know me or through talking with me for a bit, maybe as as both of you are are um, picking up on in terms of the things that that I'm sharing, like some of my eccentricities or or quirks come out, but. Um, but I like to see and say that everybody is is kind of unique and mm -hmm. uh, neurodiverse, 
or individuals just just are wired a little bit differently. But um, I think there are a lot of really great positives that um, that we bring to to the conversation and to others' lives as well. So um, by no means have I um, been able to overcome being on the spectrum. I, I certainly do not like that language. It's more of you just kind of live live through it. I have I, yeah, I still have yeah. experiences even as a as a 26 year old graduate student where certain situations just come across as very unclear, unfamiliar to me and I yeah. feel uncomfortable and at times if you know if I'm in a an environment where I feel safe and comfortable and I know people I at times like I might bring something up kind of subtly. Um, but other times, you know, a lot of people are surprised to, to hear about my, my experiences with autism. Um, I also, I tend to fit the typical mold of someone on the spectrum in terms of my visible identities. So I'm a, a white male, um, middle class. So those are the types of individuals that tend to be diagnosed at the highest rates. Mm. Um, and really my scholarship, um, hopefully, Will, will help bring to the conversation that uh, there are a lot of invisible identities or or other identities that that mark individuals on the spectrum. So mm -hmm. um, as someone who's who's gay as well, um, there's a lot of emerging studies right now out there that are talking about folks um, based on their sexuality or gender identity that don't necessarily kind of correlate to what we mainstream think of individuals, that there's actually high connections of being on the spectrum and being part of the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. So so I, I reference this too because we live in a, a world that thankfully is is growing more understanding and accepting of of different identities and experiences. Right. But it's but it's very interesting to certainly to be someone on the spectrum who who is gay as well so when certain situations emerge that that feel like different or unusual or uncomfortable or i'm trying to make sense of it i have to ask myself is this because i'm on the spectrum is this mm. because i'm gay is this because of both of these things mm. or does this even matter right yeah. so right. um and my scholarship um is, is I think I'm really excited about it. So I think one thing that might be of interest to your listeners um, is a study that I'm working on uh, with my colleague. Um, his name's Ryan Miller. He's an That's assistant Ryan. professor at uh, UNC Charlotte. And Ryan's done a lot of remarkable work over the past several years on the intersections of, mm -hmm. of uh, disability it sounds like you know him disability and um, sexuality and gender identity as well um, so Ryan and I are working on a piece right now that focuses on the intersection of autism and queer or trans identities um, or in some cases all three so mm -hmm. uh, we're really um, passionate about getting these stories out and trying to be um, as mindful and authentic and capturing these people's stories because for what I'm saying, there are there are more of us um, out there, but it just it's it really hasn't been covered thus far. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I, and I would also refer people to there was a recent article um, published by um, Ezekiel Kimball and Anne Marie Vaccaro and colleagues. Um, it was in Disability Studies Quarterly that focuses on intersections of disability, um, gender identity, sexuality, etc. So. 
the stuff is coming out there and I'm I'm really glad to be hopefully part of the conversation. Um, and then outside of the intersectional work, most of my work is focused on either community college students, also part of my um, background and experiences and identities, and a lot on the depictions and experiences of college students with autism more generally. So mm -hmm. uh, I have some pieces that I'm working on on that front. So, um, so harkening back to that original question, Wayne, as far as um, challenges and, and opportunities and how I navigate life academically and socially, I think things are definitely, I, I definitely feel uh, very happy about where I am and not only my um, scholarship and my academics, but also just who I am because I am able to kind of bring multiple worlds together. Yeah. And, in, in, in so many different ways and I'm finding people whose work is similar to mine or at the very least I, I constantly learn from from folks whose identities and experiences aren't like mine but yet there might be some central themes that we all share and, and that can be helpful to my work or, or vice versa yeah so I think we're living in such a great age right now where we have you know information at our fingertips through just continual platforms whether it be you know these journals online that we can access or other mediums we have social media it's it's a great time to to be an academic and certainly to be to be addressing intersectional work too yes absolutely thank you so much wow that's thank you i yes i am lots of chewing my fingers <laughs> um beautiful well i'm now i'm now going to pass the baton over uh to spencer to, to carry on the conversation. Sure. Yeah. So we have a, uh, to sort of take a, a brief little break and um, have a little fun. We have a little uh, sort of speed round kind of game uh, that sure. we'll play. Um, and so basically just um, the first thought that comes to your mind when I ask, and ask the question, just spit it out. Okay. And if, there, and if there is any explanation behind it or that sort of thing, we'd love to hear that as well. So, all right, sounds good. Favorite animal? Dog. Um, grew up with a German Shepherd all throughout my childhood, or different points in my childhood. I had different German Shepherds, so I'm a total dog person. I love. I just. Uh, I volunteered in uh, a no-kill animal shelter in my undergrad years, so I, I love um, domestic animals. Mm -hmm. um, favorite place you visited? See, that's hard, travel. Um, well, the Disney part of me mm -hmm. automatically says Disneyland. I've been there more times than, than I can count. Um, yeah. Non-Disney, I would probably say... Um, I really have a fondness toward uh, to New York, New York City. Oh gosh, New York City is awesome. Absolutely. Um, best part of where you live? Hmm. Well, there's a lot of great things about Madison, Wisconsin. Um, number of difficult things and, and challenges, um, <laughs> but on on so many different fronts, but. Mm. I'd say the people, um, and, and I'll say in particular the people in my department, because they're kind of like an extended family or community for me now. So it's hard to separate the people from the place. So that's 
definitely the top of my list. Very cool. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? <laughs> wow. Um, gosh. I'm trying to think back to some of the superpowers in The Incredibles because mm. I just saw the sequel recently, but I'm not going to go with any of those. I'm going to probably say to read someone's mind, okay. probably because that's what I'm constantly trying to do. Yeah. In the, and that's, yeah, that's definitely connected to to the um, to the Asperger's part of me and trying trying to read and understand people. So, yeah, absolutely. I know I'm probably opening a, a can of worms here, but what did you think of the sequel? Oh, how, how much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll say this: um, Pixar has done it again. Yeah, they they've created yet another fantastic film. Um, Probably as good as the original. Yeah. Have you guys seen it? It's so good. Yeah, I, I love. I loved it. I did too. I. It had been forever since I seen the first one, and I actually didn't watch the first one before I went and saw the sequel. So. <laughs> I, thinking. I literally when when I tell you that first scene, um, and I finished watching it. And then went home and, of course, was looking, doing the whole typical after the movies, you look up, you know, all the opinion pieces and whatnot and completely realized that the sequel started right where the first one start uh, ended. Yeah. And I was like, I do not remember that. And so I have yet to still watch the first one again, but I need to because I really, really enjoyed the first one. I think I think your microphone is causing some feedback. Ooh, hold on one moment, please. How about now? That's a, that much better. Okay, sorry about that. But yeah, so when I I I actually really enjoyed the sequel though. Um I thought it was cute. I thought I thought it was a really nice update. Um, you know, I I felt like it was sort of with the times in terms of, um, you know, centering um, centering women in the plot of 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 the you know the the sort of the the whole through line of of the the movie and whatnot. And so, I enjoyed it. Yeah, there are certain movies that seem to just come at the right time, and even though it took forever for it to mm -hmm. to actually be uh, created, um, it, it hits on a lot of themes that I think you know people can resonate with, even if they're not superheroes, right? Yeah. So, so uh, back to the questions: What makes you happy? <laughs> oh my gosh, so many things. Disney, obviously, that goes with that thing now. I'll say that a million times. Um, but I, I definitely, I think just spending time with with my family and close friends, I that that brings me a lot of joy. I think that probably does for a lot of people. So yeah. Cool. All right, so we got probably a tough one here for you. Favorite Disney character? Oh my gosh! Wow. Um, well, I have to say, uh, I played a game with my friends recently where we. Kind of went around the dinner table and we're trying to come up with characters we were most like and people quickly identified that i am jiminy cricket um and i think that 
is probably a good choice. Um, I definitely resonate with everything with Jiminy Cricket, but I have to say, but my probably my absolute answer is Pluto um, because I love dogs yeah. and I have. Um, I, I would be lying if I said I didn't have a couple of like Pluto themed artwork in my in my apartment. Oh, that is so cool. I love Pluto. Shark or dolphin? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I, I I love the intelligence of dolphins, but I'll say that sharks are very misunderstood. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and uh, no, and well, and on a grim note, I was reading something recently about just you know the constant um, you know overfishing of mm. and hunting really of of both dolphins and and sharks. But yeah, I think I think it's a draw. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then the last is Super Mario or Donkey Kong. Oh, I think I might offend some listeners because I have to say I haven't really ever played any of the Nintendo games. <laughs> um, I think Mario seems pretty optimistic, so that definitely resonates. <laughs> <laughs> That's valid. Awesome. Awesome. So now we're going to jump back into questions. Okay. Our commercial break has ended, I suppose, yes. right? Okay. <laughs> Brought to you by Squatty Potty. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, uh, and Squarespace. And yes. <laughs> uh, I, I, anyways, we're not going to go down another and drag race. takes. <laughs> um, so... You know, maybe we can jump into a little more about your work. I know you mentioned, you know, some of your research previously. Uh, Is there anything that you're currently working on that you're, like, super excited about or that you feel like is going to impact um, the field, um, you know, of higher education and and practice in higher education in significant ways? Sure. No, and I appreciate the question. Um, Well, I think it'd be self-flattering for anybody to say, oh, my work is going to change the world and um, be a a driving change. At at the very least, what what I will say is that I'm I'm hoping to build upon Mm -hmm. the scholarship um, that is out there related to college students with autism um, as, I guess, one of the main things I'll I'll discuss because it, it is emerging. There's there's a lot of stuff that has just popped up over the past few years, and um, there are more studies that are capturing students' experiences as opposed to just other students' perceptions of autistic individuals or parents' perceptions or faculty perceptions, et cetera. Um, so I'm so certainly through Ryan's my work with Ryan, um, we're definitely at forefronting the student experience um, with those intersectional identities. Um, but I'm also trying with some of my studies where I'm focusing on some angles that um, haven't traditionally been looked at. So my colleague, uh, Kirsten Brown, um, who great scholar um, on both the disability and autism front, um, she and I um, have worked on a piece um, recently that, that centered on how community college websites portray autism. Mm-hmm. So the notion of how different platforms communicate information about a disability and what the tone is, what are some of the features, um, what are, um, what's not, what's not visible. Um, so I'm really proud of that work um, because over the past few years, there's been a, a few pieces um, that have centered on 
basically narratives that website higher ed websites communicate about a variety of different themes. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not s- seeing so much on the disability front, and certainly not on the autism front. So we, we feel like this is a novel endeavor that um, will hopefully um, spark a lot of conversations about the power of content and and how not having things or having things in a very deficit-based or um, just um, neutral way can be really uh, profoundly um, harmful or or just wrong to individuals who are on the spectrum and who aren't seeing their experiences or perspectives being featured on the websites or colleges that they will attend or currently attend. Um, so really proud of that work. Um, and, and also, I'll just briefly mention that I'm working on a project that is centered on future, uh, future faculty members' perceptions of college students with autism. So um, essentially grad students, postdocs, instructional staff, people who want to, who are in academia but aren't full-time faculty yet but want to be faculty, how can we best um, prepare them or make them or mm-hmm. understand how they view autism? So this is... Um, I, I co-taught an inclusive teaching online course, and uh, it was focused on a variety of different themes. I touched on autism, so um, I'm really excited about um, gathering some of my students who are uh, future faculty. What are their understandings of autism, and how how might they be able to best support them and all all students in their future courses? So, um, needless to say, I have a lot of things on on my plate and other mm-hmm. things too, but, um, and I'm not even quite at the dissertation stage yet. So I have a, a lot of work ahead on that front, but I'm really trying to, to go, going back to your question, uh, I'm really trying to, to build my scholarship to one that is really covering different perspectives and frameworks and understandings of autism and when applicable, um, incorporating other perspectives and themes. And then the, the community, my work with my colleagues, um, Julie Wong here at UW-Madison, who's um, fantastic in every sense of the word, and her work on community college students' transfer pathways. Um, there aren't direct connections to autism there, but it's certainly very important work and core to my own identity. Um, so I'm, I'm really honored to be part of these projects that um, capture a wide variety of students' populations based on everything from um, race and gender and socioeconomic status and um, just um, fault and fields of study quite um, very importantly too. So uh, I definitely want to build upon what other scholars have established on all of these different fronts, but also provide my own voice. And certainly when it comes to the autism scholarship, there are very few, if any, um, scholars on the spectrum who are writing about this stuff, at least in an empirical sense. We're seeing a lot of blogs and a lot of YouTube channels and other narratives, and I would hope there are some fellow scholars like me out there um, who are who identifies being on the spectrum too. But getting that voice, I think, is really important in complementing all of the great work being uh, accomplished by my neurotypical um, colleagues in the field. So... Yeah, you you can tell just a little bit that I'm that I'm excited about my work, but also just all the great stuff that's continually coming out there. I, I can hardly keep up. 
Absolutely. Um, what motivates you in your day-to-day work and keep, you know, sort of keeps you inspired to continue doing what you're doing? Gosh, you both ask really tough questions. <laughs> um, and I had thought about um, certain things before, before this interview, but I think what really motivates me is that I, I, I really, I love being in an academic community and I, and I, really thrive from being around other scholars who continually challenge my ideas and are genuinely nice and, and want to help nurture um, future scholars like me. So I feel I feel motivated to kind of um, carry on the great traditions that are established by folks that are a bit ahead of me or a lot ahead of me. But I also, I feel motivated to just kind of um, rise up to the opportunities that that I've been afforded. I feel very, um, very humbled and privileged by um, all of the the great things that that have come my way over over my academic career. Whether it be, gosh, the ability to to even get an associate's degree, um, which I didn't even think would be possible because of some of my challenges prior to entering college, and now to you know, to have come directly from undergrad into a doctoral program and getting my master's along the way, I feel motivated to um, not only meet whatever expectations folks who have given me opportunities have may, may have had of me, but also to um, to hopefully inspire others. Um, I think there's a lot that can be said in in just people sharing their stories, whether it's participants in our studies, or if we're student affairs practitioners, the, the students that we work with on a daily basis, and and having avenues and platforms for allowing people to, to feel like that they can talk about their experiences and maybe help provide some insight to others. And, I, and I've certainly been in a world now where, as I was saying, like through YouTube, through um, all these social media platforms, through our access to literature, there are more ways than ever before of, of hearing about people's stories, but it doesn't change the fact that a lot of narratives still are rather underrepresented and un- mm. and not explored. I, and I would argue that um, under the diversity umbrella, there are so many moving pieces and facets. And I think um, this, you know, students with disabilities, um, students part of the LGBTQ community, among others, um, our prob- their voices and experiences, I think, are heard less often than others. But I think we also have to recognize that um, people are complex and people have a variety of different identities and experiences. And I feel motivated to um, help surface some of those. And maybe in the process, you know, when applicable, like um, this podcast platform, which I think is great that you all are are offering to folks. It's it's motivating to to have spaces to sh- share our own stories as as scholars as practitioners, and I I feel continually motivated to, you know, try to be a a, a game changer in different regards in terms of my my research focus. And at, at the end of the day, you know, I'm talking a lot about the academic stuff, and you know, we can talk about that all day. But at the end of the day, I feel just motivated to continually be a good person and. Um, you know, my values and ethics and my personality traits that are perhaps detached from my identities or or maybe informed by them um, 
just being you know decent and respectful and um, curious and all these things those are those those things motivate me and I want to continually to be a, a better person so being in academia affords me that opportunity and I and I try to live for that every day I make the most of every day that I have to dedicate toward what what compels me mm-hmm. thank you for that um what are sort of your pro- professional trajectory, you know, um, like hopes, dreams, aspirations, goals? Essentially, yeah. after dissertation, after, you know, PhD, I, I, we can assume that maybe, um, I, you know, based off what you shared with us, you would like to stay within academia. But, um, hey, you know, if you want to go off and, and, and do something with Disney, we are in full support of that. <laughs> And we'll take ten percent. Yeah, ten <laughs> percent. Okay. We, do we want to, you know, do we want to develop a contract now? I don't think so. But we, we can go yes. for that. Um, yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll definitely say on the on the Disney front, I, I certainly have have never severed uh, that interest and hopes to, you know, unite those interests um, and those passions and, and and skills whenever possible. Um, but but in, yes, indeed, I. I um, Spencer, yeah, I, I want to be in academia. Um, it, it speaks to me on, on so many different levels. It's a very, I feel, compared to a lot of other industries, um, even though we have our share of challenges and, and ways to go, I think it's a more inclusive mm-hmm. uh, industry and atmosphere um, where we talk about a lot of ideas and um, supporting others in a variety of different ways. Um, I am an aspiring professor, and I am certainly welcome to different experiences and opportunities that that may surface um, once I'm uh, completed my uh, doctoral studies. But at the end of the day, I, I'm an educator at heart. I'm a, I'm an, I feel like I'm a professor at heart, um, and in conjunction with my passion for research and what I've been talking a lot about um, via this podcast, I I think it's central that a good scholar isn't just a, a, a good researcher, but also a good faculty member. And it's not every day that you find someone who's really um, adept in both of those departments. And thankfully, I see such shining examples of that um, here in my program at UW-Madison and also in, in some of my previous experiences um, in my undergrad, but I want to be the, the best professor I can be. Um, and when I say professor, I also mean as a, as a researcher, but um, I, I, I love the, the notion of continually engaging in, in great and meaningful dialogue and learning from others. Like how lucky are all of we being in academia that we just get to learn for a living, mm-hmm. um, whether that be working directly with students or with fellow scholars or practitioners. Um, it really resonates with me, and um, and I and I feel really lucky to to be having some of these experiences in grad school to kind of test the waters, see see what works, what doesn't, and and find ways of capitalizing on um, all these things that are uh, that really speak to me. And I would hope too that I'm proficient in. Um, so I. I, I just really welcome whatever opportunities await, and I, I hope they are ones that 
in academia that allow me to utilize my talents and, and passions. Well, thank you for that. I think we are uh, sort of at, at a time that uh, we can wrap up. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share with us, with the world? Um, anything that you're working on currently that you want to promote? Um, well, I feel like I've done enough self-promotion in terms of talking about my research projects and, and really comes from a place of where I'm just really excited about, about the work and how it complements or builds upon others' work. So, um, so I'm really excited about those, those ventures that I shared with you all earlier. Um, but yeah, I, I, I thank you guys, thank you both again for, um, really giving all of your guests a, a platform to talk about their different experiences. I think this is this is important and um, keep on doing what you're doing. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really pleased to, to be on. So thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, how can people connect with you? Do you have social media, contact info, that sort of thing? Sure, sure. Probably the best way of contacting me is emailing me. Okay. Uh, so my email is B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N at W-I-S-C dot E-D-U. Um, I'm on Twitter, and my Twitter handle is at B-Nachman, so that's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N, reports. Um, so that, that essentially stems from my journalistic days, uh, with the whole reporting notion. And uh, I'm also on LinkedIn, So, um, but I, I really very much welcome um, email or, or Twitter yeah. Um, as, as ways of communicating with, with people. And I look forward to hopefully any conversations that may emerge from this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. We are incredibly thankful to have you on. Yes, a wealth of knowledge and information. Oh, thank you. Much appreciated. Of course. Beautiful. All righty, y'all. All righty, y'all. Well, thank you so much. And if you need anything, call us, beep us if you want to reach us. <laughs> Hashtag 2002 Kim Possible, right? Yes. Oh, my Absolutely. gosh. That's a great way of ending the podcast that I did not expect. We do what we can. <laughs> awesome, y'all. Well, this was fun. So much fun. Yes. Thanks absolutely. to Squarespace again for sponsoring. <laughs> yes. And Sweaty Potty. And uh, Bolden Brand Sheets. Yeah. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, bye, y'all. Bye. bye. 